Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. I am joined today and as always by my friend, business partner. And recently I found this out, the master of of multiplying by two. Jason, what's two times two? That would be four, Joshua. Uh, it, hopefully I answered that quickly enough for you. It, you did, and, and I think that tells us a little something too. What is, <laughs> what's today? What's happening right now? I would, I would tread lightly. I'm going to start throwing proof around in here. So. <laughs> today we record our fourth episode. Oh, is that what you see? What I did there? I did, I did not see it in the moment, and now I yeah, do. Yeah, there we go. So, One Nation Under Whiskey podcast is a podcast where we discuss all things related to our businesses, which are what do we do, Jason? Uh, regular listeners know this list intimately. We have an independent bottling company called Single Cast Nation, mm-hmm. uh, available online at singlecastnation.com, but also heading into retail. We run the Whiskey Jubilee Whiskey Festival in New York City, Chicago, and Seattle. And we lead Whiskey Geek Tours of Scotland. And I've started adding this in my own introductions and my own tastings. We have a podcast. Thanks to you for listening. (laughs) And in our very first podcast, uh, we, we made a bit of a promise to listeners, and that promise would be, that we would try to, as best we can, we would try to focus on topics as they relate to independent bottlers and independent bottling. And uh, I'm pretty excited because on today's episode, uh, we will go over our discussion with Mark Watt from uh, Cadden Heads. Uh, Or you could say we'll go over our conversation with Mark Watt from Caden Heads. You could say that, but you could also say Mark Watt from Cadenheads. We'll see what Mark Watt from Cadenheads says about that. <laughs> so speaking of, of Cadenheads, now you said Cadenheads, Jason said Cadenheads. People have been saying it correctly uh, or incorrectly yeah, for 175 years. It's about like, you know, if someone says to you, go and walk, and then you start thinking about how to walk and then you can't walk. Um you walk all funny. So I, I generally say Cadenheads, but sometimes I say Cadenheads. I'm trying to think now. It's crazy. Right. Uh, it's one of those yeah, funny usually things. Usually I would say Cadenheads. Okay. That would be my main pronunciation. But then it's it's a bit different. Uh, even within the company, different people say different things. Oh, okay. Um, How do they say it up in Dufton area? How well, see, I'm it? from up that way, so I would say Cadenheads. Okay. Um, but I think some, some people go for Cadenheads more. I think Cadenheads, you need to pronounce that more. So it's a uh, Cadenheads is easier for, for slipping off the tongue for me. <laughs> As a lowlander, it certainly works for me. Uh, yeah. Cadenheads. There should really be some R's in there just to, <laughs> just to help out. I've given up my R's since moving to America. <laughs> some people listening to this podcast may say, well, here you guys are as a uh, as an independent bottler, and you are talking with and supporting and promoting other independent bottlers. That is kind of different. It's kind of uh, maybe it's unique to this industry. I don't know, but I, you know, I you think about the various stories of say the distilleries on Isla, you know, when Ardbeg has a part that just 
stops working, the folks from Laforig will come down and and say, yeah, you know, here you go, here's that sprocket that that you need or or, or whatever. And it, it seems to be a, an enormous team effort within the whiskey industry, be it distilleries or or bottlers. What do you think? Yeah, we've heard that since we came into the industry. And I think one of the things that, that made us want to get into the industry was the nice people that hang out in it. Mm. Um, you know, you encounter people who are whiskey lovers first and business people second. And it's always been a, a joy uh, reaching out to them. And as we've mentioned over uh, a number of our podcasts, um, collaborating. Yeah. Right. There's there's that real willingness to say, here's what we do, here's what you do. Surely this can work if we do it together. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've I've loved that from day one, and here we are, five years into it, continuing to love it. And you know, we're still looking at at new um, collaborations as as 2017 goes along. So yeah, it's a, it's a good industry to be in. Yeah, it's it's good. It's fun. The passion's there. The the people are there. I love it. In our discussion with with Mark. You know, I think we spoke with him for a little over an hour. We did. And, you know, I absolutely love this conversation. First off, Mark is hilarious um, (laughs) and smart. And uh, when you're with him in person, he's difficult to keep up with as far as the drinks go. But uh, I know you failed, but I may have beat him back in Scotland. Ah, I I did. You may have. You may have beaten nobody, nobody. Not <laughs> <laughs> the rate at which you drink water. <laughs> he went to bed before I did, and I was still drinking. Uh-huh. And now that makes me sound like a severe alcoholic. So. <laughs> <laughs> As we keep telling our wives, it's all business all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the I time. totally outdrunk this guy. I totally <laughs> did it. I did it, man. Um. <laughs> Among all of the things that we discussed with Mark... Uh, the first thing that kind of came to mind, it, it gets me back to what what we do and, and the struggles that we have as an independent bottler. And I think any independent bottler uh, would have this struggle. And that's when you look at what we bottle or what anybody bottles, it's not necessarily, we're not bottling Highland Park. We're not bottling McAllen. We're not... Or, or yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna add yet to all of that, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know we we yes we've bottled Dalmore, we've bottled Lefroy, you know we've bottled Glen Murray. These are all bigger names, you know maybe Glen Murray not not as much, but still you know a, a well known distillery. Um, Un- we've bottled an unnamed Isla South Shore distillery yeah, owned yeah. <clears throat> owned by Diageo. We've done that, but we've also bottled some some whiskeys where you know people may not have necessarily heard of you know Glen Elgin. Who really has heard of Glen Elgin? Given that you're talking some of the sexy names Banff and Convalmore, for us in the U.S., there's there's not a lot of knowledge surrounding that type of distillery. For us, the the sexy names are are the, the big brands. So people get excited to hear McAllen, Highland Park, Ardbeg. Is there is there any cask that you've put out that you were actually surprised that people went bananas for it, given that you thought maybe the name wasn't quite as sexy uh, as you would think? Hmm, that's a good question. 
keep that in the podcast. Make sure that gets in the final edit, Josh. Oh, yeah. No, I'll just repeat that over and over again. Every question. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Just, just every interview with everyone. Oh, that was a good question. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think back. There's, generally, it's it's been growers rather than um, people necessarily being excited about something that I wouldn't have thought they would have been. But it just takes you know a couple of people to try you know, particularly good Strathclyde 1989 or things like that. The, the ones that when you look down the list, you'd be like, oh, that's not necessarily the one that's going to sell out the fastest. But once a few people try it and word gets around uh, like that. Uh, but I think probably with our customers, you know, people that drink cadenades, they're not necessarily as focused on the big names. It's more exactly. about the quality of the flavor. Yeah. Um, and the good thing is, if it's not a big name, you generally get it for cheaper. <laughs> but that's maybe the Scotsman in me coming out. <laughs> One of the things that came out of our conversation with Mark, uh, here we are talking about jumping around and, and representing you know, other brands along with our own and representing a distillery mm. so people can taste it. Um, I, I know, and, and as a long-time lover of independent bottling, um, that I've followed particular distilleries. Maybe in the background, I've had particular independent bottlers who I've I've liked, I've enjoyed, I've bought their products, mm -hmm. but I've always been led by the distillery. And the, the obvious two for me, one is Laphroaig and one is Le Chig. <laughs> yeah. right? those, yeah. those are the two that I've always followed. Um, and it's interesting the way Mark from within the industry talks about the kind of the issue uh, as a, an owner of a brand <laughs> the issue that comes um, with having whiskey geeks yeah. following distilleries more so than than following a brand you know this is the other thing as well you need independent bottles to give you more whiskey um because we all like more whiskey and i think this sums up you know you've got your own independent bottling co company and you're interviewing me from Cadenheads, you know in other industries, that would seem ridiculous. Why are you technically interviewing and promoting your competition? But we're not competition in that whiskey drinkers at our level are they're brilliant people, um, but they're terrible customers. Um, and by that, I mean they're great customers and I love them all, but you don't get um, people who only drink Cadenheads unfortunately, yeah. yep. or only drink your stuff. You know, one day they'll drink one of yours, the next day they'll drink one of mine, then they'll go and have a Highland Park, then they'll have a Springbank, then they'll have an Ardbeg, then they'll go and have a Dougie Lane or whatever. People are not loyal. Um, whereas at the bottom end of the whiskey drinking, people are, I need to choose what, I don't mean bottom end, I choose my words wisely, but you know, <laughs> the low, at, the, at, the, at the entry level, perhaps, uh, people are much more loyal. You know, you'll get people that only drink Bells, they'll only drink Teachers, they'll only drink Dewars. Right. And they're great customers because you've got them for life, you know. Um, whereas, you know, so you don't you don't need the diversification of different different whiskeys or whatever. Whereas at, at, at our level, it's, uh, you know, there's the more there is, the better to some extent. So you remember that we drink whiskey during this podcast? <laughs> is that a question to me or a question to the listeners? <laughs> um, you know, that what he said was that high-end drinkers t 
tend to be a bit disloyal to independent bottlers. You know, like you had said, they're you know they're they they can be loyal to the distillery, and that sounds like a sound effect. I'm not sure anyone's going to believe that that was you pulling that out of the bottle, but I saw you do it with my own two eyes. I pulled it out of somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, I want to rinse your glass. So. Because it's 9.58 in the morning and because we're talking about disloyalty um, to independent bottlers, uh, <laughs> but I want to be loyal to our friend Mark Watt. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I brought out a Cadden Heads bottling and it is the best Dallas Dew I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, lovely. The 1979? Yeah, 1979. Firstville nice. bourbon. Very nice. Yeah, we pulled those out of the warehouse in 2014, was 2014. it? 2014. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's an awfully good one. I've also, in honor of our friend Mark Watt, pulled out a Caden Heads, uh, but it's the warehouse tasting, just like yours. And um, this is from a more recent tour. This was July and September of of 2016 mm -hmm. this is the most remarkable spring bank a 1997 uh dchar rechar heavily sherried 19 year old spring bank which i have taken to referring to as angel's tears <laughs> it is it is that remarkable and uh, ranald actually made a comment uh, on instagram the other week that the tears used to be of joy uh, and now they're of sorrow because <laughs> the cask, it is gone. Yeah. Uh, this is the the one that Mark Watt got in the year. Um, you know, you, you would imagine with a sharing a parent company that Caden Heads would get an awful lot more Springbank. Um, but they're as stingy with Caden Heads as they are with, with any other independent bottler. <laughs> so. and, and for those um, who are not familiar with the name Ranald, Ranald is with spring bank he is the uh global sales guy yeah global sales guy and a stand-up guy at that he is he's a he's an absolute solid chap and i will add to our list uh we have not bottled a spring bank yet yet <laughs> <laughs> so we harass them every single time we see them so that's uh it's an inside joke yeah. on how much we harass them but <laughs> we harass a lot of people oh my goodness just I, it's a shame this is an audio podcast rather than a visual podcast. This is, yeah. this is some color on it. Oh, that's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's um. Okay. So, Cadden Heads, one hundred and seventy-five years this year, and Mark Watt has been with the company for five years now. Oh, I I got the the math wrong on that. I thought he'd been with them for one hundred and seventy years. That's. I think, oh. I think you're right. I think you're right, though. Yeah. I think it's five. Yeah. Yeah, we should double check that before we before we lay this down on wax. I, I, I was just going to say that. Before we lay it down on wax. I've been saying it all week long. All week. Last two weeks. Lay it on wax. But, you know, he, so he's been doing this for five years. The company itself has been doing it for 170 more than that. That's and remarkable. we got to asking about, you know, what – what are some of your most favorite bottlings? Um, now, instantly, my head goes to, he's going to mention, oh, you know, this, this, you know, 1950, whatever, Strathyla or, 
you know, whatever it is, you know, 1974 Ardbeg, you know, some, yeah. some crazy single castle like that. Uh, instead, he goes on to talking about some vattings that they've done, some small batch releases. Yeah, he was very proud of those. Uh, and you can you can hear it in the way he spoke about them. There was a, a craftsmanship going on there. Yeah. Uh, and and as you and I have uh, mentioned previously, it, it's not easy. Right. No. You don't just you don't just sling a few things together in your glass and lo and behold, you've got yourself a, a solid vatting. Um, there's there's some careful crafting of that happening. Do you have a, a release that you're most proud of in your five years? Not necessarily even a favorite, just something that you're proud of for for any given reason. Possibly some of the Cadenhead creations on a personal level, um, because, you know, I've been allowed the freedom to blend uh, with different things um, so they have been they have been a lot of fun and a lot of stress uh, well when I say a lot of stress as much stress as you can get in Campbelltown um, but I mean it's it's very easy me sitting on my sitting on my desk with my samples and creating creating some of the some of the blends and thinking oh this works uh, in my glass and then you have to take two, three, four perfectly great casks that you could sell individually and dump them together. Um, and, you know, if that doesn't work, then you're in trouble. So, you know, probably the first um, rich fruity sherry uh, that we did, that was probably the first blend, proper blend uh, that I did when I was down here. Um, but there's so many, so many great whiskies. It's, it's difficult to pick out single casks or, or vattings that have been particularly pl- proud of. So here's Cadenheads figuring out their 35, 30, 35 different markets. Mm-hmm. And they have to, you know, between single casks, between vattings or, or, or things like that, they have to serve all of these markets. And we have a market <laughs> to serve. Yep. Well, you know, U.S. We're we're in Canada a little bit. Dip to toe. Yep. Dip to toe. Um, but y- you know, is is that the difference between 175 years into this and five years into this? <laughs> like, <laughs> we better hope our great, 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 <laughs> great, great. How many greats are in here? Uh, <laughs> Wow, well, you keep in- adding them, we'll just we'll just make America really great, great, great again. It's like Chunt with six T's. It's MAGA with twelve G's. I don't want to say it's easier having one market, but but it's obviously easier having one market. Yes, right. Right. I mean, yeah, go- obviously yes. <laughs> right. Obviously it is. But- <laughs> obviously yes. But but the U.S. is such a crazy market. Well, in- go on. Well, we are. We're much more fickle. We're cynical. Um, we are very age-driven and price-driven. I would add name-driven to that. Oh, name-driven, and and then add to that fifty different states. It's it may as well be fifty different countries because each state has its own, 
you know, set of liquor laws that date back to just after Prohibition. And so, yes, while while it's nice to have only one market to to really focus on, um, it it is a <laughs> we've selected the most difficult market, the most challenging market to launch our our, our brand in. Although one could argue that Canada is another degree more complicated. Oh, yeah. You can't just send stuff across Canadian provinces, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, you know, you have to buy it from the government warehouse. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have any of that going on. So, yeah, I, I, think, we're, I think we're doing okay in the U.S. Uh, I, I'd like to see what it's, what it's like doing business in the Netherlands, and, and Sweden mm. and Norway, uh, because obviously Sweden's a tricky one from from everything I've heard. Oh uh, yeah, right, Norway, yeah. Finland. Um, but I, I if I'm going to envy Mark Watt uh, in any way, and, I, and I'm certainly going to envy the cask lists that he gets to look oh, over. Man, I'm definitely going to envy that. But but if I was to envy him in another way, it's that he already has a market who are receptive to independent bottlers. Yeah. We are trying to build a market as we're selling to it. And we, we've said that from day one, right? Mm-hmm. We, we knew that was the task in yeah. front of us, and, and we, were, we were more than up for that task. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a small vocal group of independent bottlers <laughs> lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh huh. Go on. I'm not going to edit. I'm not going to edit any of this out. Continue. Yeah, absolutely have to. Um, there's there's a small but vocal group of independent bottler lovers or aficionados, um, and and I, and I think we have we have great success with them. Mm-hmm. But again, like there's so much work yeah. to be done. Yeah. In the U.S. Yeah. Um, which which bodes well for us moving forward is that this market is still developing. It's still learning about itself. It, it it really is. And it gets me to thinking about, well, what I did last night. Last night I was um, hosting a seminar at a shop up in Massachusetts, and I'm talking with the spirits buyers there, and they're reconstructing their, their whiskey wall. And I loved hearing what they told me. They said, we are reconstructing our whiskey wall so that independent bottlers are being highlighted. Holy moly, that Holy, is yeah. tremendous. Yeah, so you know, you have you know, really smart whiskey shops that A get independent bottling, B want to support them, and C they're they're hosting many events for their good customers, getting the word out, using email lists, what have you to shine a light on independent bottlers and and that is great i mean it gets back to to education and when you get the support of the retailers that that's that's where it all shines well and it's also interesting because i'm not sure everybody uh i'm not sure every brand in the industry quite sees the value of independent bottlers no where you know you've you've got some obvious big boys who don't want their name on a label when they haven't controlled um, every part of the maturation of that release, yeah. say. Um, and yet 
There are others, and, and we do direct business with them, who say, we absolutely want our name on your label. Mm-hmm. You've got a great following. You've got a wonderfully loyal following. We want your fans to learn about our distillery through you. Yeah. And, you know, you know that reflects how we did as independent um, bottler drinkers. Yeah. And now here we are as independent bottlers, really cherishing that relationship. Um, and and if people look through our archives, they'll see that you know we're onto our second Lafroig. You know, I, you know, there there might be one coming in retail later this year, right? I'm still. <laughs> you're saying you're <laughs> terrible at hinting. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> so there will be, yeah, go on. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm just never sure what, what we're allowed to say and what we aren't. I know it's our company and I can say really whatever the hell I want, but, <laughs> but when, when I don't you want say... to disappoint you, Joshua, okay? That's, that's it, I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> well, run into my room oh my and slam gosh. the door now. Oh, jeez, I don't know. Why, why didn't you say that 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> just, just tell me you're proud of me that's all i want to hear i'm proud of you i'm proud of you son <laughs> so given the given the vast amount of stocks that you have and and the markets that you're in how do you how do you determine you know that the u.s is going to get this first phil sherry you know highland park 28 year old and why wouldn't China get that? And, you know, would France get... Um, a... It depends who buys me the most drinks, to be honest. It's, uh... <laughs> the cat's out of that bag. Okay, we're coming for you, Mark. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's tricky. We, we treat America um, slightly differently than any other market in that we do do single-cast bottlings exclusively for America. Uh just it's easier for us because of the 750 ml bottles yeah. um, and then we'll do other bottlings that are split you know around the world we also have the authentic collection bottlings which are only available in our shops um, but it's there's no we try and keep it even across all, all places uh, it's not like we just keep you know we just keep the bam for shops and we don't send them out elsewhere uh, we do need to look at doing a bit more in America with various things. Um, but we're, we are, we are making inroads slightly there as well. So it's, it's always good. Um, but it's, it's, it is a tricky thing going, Oh, who should get this and who should get that? But we try and allocate it, allocate it fairly across, across the world. We're not in that many countries, probably about 30 countries, um, which is still probably too many. Uh, for a single cask, mm-hmm. um, so that's hence why the small batch is, you know, another reason for doing two, three, sometimes four casks. Now, occasionally we've done four casks, uh, just to allow a bit more allocation um, across the world. Do you find that those resonate as much with your with your fan base? Do you find that people are really into the single cask, and that small batch is, is? I, I think I think it's actually coming round um, that. Initially, people were like, oh, it's got to be the single cast. It's got to be the single cast. But when you really look at it, our small batches are small batches. You know, the largest bottling we've ever done was 1,200 bottles. You know, and that's – I actually wanted to call that big batch, um, but it would have taken too long to change the label. 
um, you know, that was, you know, and, and looking at today's world, you know, there's so many small batches um, that are, you know, limited edition of 150,000 million bottles. Um, exactly. And, you know, I think people actually realize that our small batches are really are small. So it's two or three casks. So it's almost the same, you know, limitation as a single cask. Mm-hmm. But I think people are also coming around to the fact that if you marry a couple of casks together, sometimes, you know, the flavor profile of the two casks can actually be better than the, the single casks on their own, if that makes sense. It does. It yeah. absolutely oh, yeah. does. And you know, we've seen that in the... Extremes so taking a heavy sherry and a bourbon cask and marrying them together. But sometimes just two casks married together. And we, we marry them together for a reasonable period of time before bottling it. You know, we're not just chucking them together. Um, and it's it's a good it's good fun doing the small batches. I was having a conversation with, with Bikram Singh, who is a shop owner in Massachusetts and uh, an amazing supporter um, of independent bottlers. And, and that really is his focus in the shop. But um, during our conversation about independent bottlers and independent bottling, we got to talk about pricing. And I think you and I have discussed this before. But he he basically said something to me that I have said to other people. So I was very happy to hear it. And his comment was, with regards to pricing, as it relates to independent bottlings, um, you know, specifically single cast cast strength. So we're getting niche within a niche within a niche uh, within a niche. Um, he basically said, you know, ten dollars per year. That's a fair price on a retail shelf. Mm. If it's eight years old, somewhere around eighty bucks. That's good. If it goes a little higher, understood. Um, if it's a thirteen-year-old, one hundred and thirty bucks, and so on. Now, obviously, there's there's plus or minus on either end of those, and and, and this is where it gets back to some of the difficulties working in the U.S. market because you have your three-tier system, and everybody needs to make money, and some people want to make more than others, and yeah, you know, and 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 so on. But so I, I've really enjoyed our conversation around that, but it got me to thinking about Mark when he was talking about the Cadenhead's pricing strategy, right? And yep. and when we take people to Cadenhead's on, on Whiskey Geek tours. Yep. And and there's a reason that we go to Cadenhead's. I mean, first off, we love the people. Secondly, um, the warehouse is amazing. And thirdly, and this maybe should be the first part of it, the prices are stupid. I mean, they're <laughs> they're they're great. This 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 1979 Dallas Dew, which is a shuttered distillery, 35 year old whiskey, single cask, cask strength, pulled directly from the cask. There's more char in this bottle than like uh, any raw cask you've ever seen. Um, and how much was it? Was it 90 pounds? Uh, no, 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 no. The, the Dallas Dew was 170 pounds. Okay, 170 <laughs> pounds. Which is still insane. Insane, it's, yeah. It's still an absolutely insane number. Um, yeah. yeah, the spring bank that I'm sitting beside, 19 years old, DCR Rechar, 100 pounds. Yeah. $135. Um, 
And and I say to Mark all the time, normally when I'm standing in the warehouse buying three bottles from that cask and five bottles from that cask and two bottles from that cask, I say, this is so... I, I never use the word cheap because that's for whores. Mm -hmm. You say... <laughs> you say... Cheap is for whores. Go on. This is so affordable. I can't afford to not buy this. Clearly, my wife disagrees with that statement. She doesn't but, listen to this podcast, though, right? <laughs> she doesn't. I keep begging her to, but um, that's the support I get, Joshua. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I am. I'm, I'm saying that to Mark. Like this, these are just silly prices, and his response is always the same. We want to price this in such a way that you'll buy it, you'll take it home, and you'll drink it. Whiskey is for drinking. When we stand in your warehouse. And this is that, and this is the other, and we just keep saying to you, I have to buy three of these. Oh, I can't afford them. I lost you pricing there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I purposely <laughs> cut out my mic. Um, so, 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 so when we stand in the warehouse and, and you say, yeah, this cask is that much and that cask is that much, and I go, I have to buy three of these. I can't afford to not buy these. And, and you famously said to me in the warehouse, no, we, we price whiskey to be drunk. Even even when you're sitting on these 1980s, I don't need to mean to keep harking on older whiskies. Um, you know, even the 90s, the 80s, the, the the 2002s that I've had from you, you keep saying we price whiskey uh, to sell it so that people can drink it. Like, is that like how? <laughs> like, what do you think when you look around and you see some of these exorbitant prices for? AGs and distilleries that you've also got sitting in your warehouse that you're selling for a third and a quarter of the price. I'll be honest, it is tempting to just go, yeah, let's just whack the price up and slap it in a wooden box, you know. Um, but you don't get to being in the industry for 100, not me personally, but for <laughs> 175 years without thinking long term. Yeah. You know, um, yes, you'll have people that uh, will pay more or would pay more for the stuff that we're bottling at the minute. But when they disappear or, they're, they're, again, there's no loyalty on, on them, perhaps, you know, it's it's our regular customers that we want coming back and coming back again and telling their friends and coming back again. You know, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to sell our bag all day. It's easy to sell uh, McAllen and Highland Park or the one cask of Springbank we get a year, you know, it's um, all great whiskies, don't get me wrong, but, but if if we were to put our prices up ridiculously high on our art bag, for example, we could get the money for it, but then people would look at our Balmenics and our Dalyuans and think, well, they're really high priced for their, their art bag, so they're probably making loads of money more on their Dalyuan. And they're Balmenic. And it's it's more of a long-term trust thing. Mm, that's that's really um, good. To, you know, and it's building that reputation so that people know they can trust you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, other, the other benefit that they've got um, is they already bought that cask. Yeah. They already own that cask. You know, certainly in the case of that Dallas do, you know, they've been sitting on that cask for a long time. A long Money's time. already been spent on that. Yeah. And now here you are standing in the warehouse, filling it direct from the cask. Mm -hmm. Nobody's owed any money on that, right? Yeah. You, you, you pay your money. It goes straight into their coffers, and you got a great price. They sold some whiskey that's going to get drunk, and their reputation continues to grow. It's, 
it's a magnificent setup, and um, yeah, I, I, we've really opened eyes uh, on our tours by showing up at the Cadenheads Warehouse. Yeah, and and it becomes the perfect excuse, or another excuse, I should say, for people to visit the distillery, right? Because this well, yeah. this this Cadenheads Warehouse. Um, you know, these offerings where you can go to the warehouse and just buy bottles. That that was something that Mark started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? that's a, a tremendous a tremendous idea that he had and and it has it has borne fruit, right? If you drive down the Kintyre Peninsula to get to Campbellton, you're about three hours from Glasgow. Yeah. And and it, that's not a fast road. That's not an interstate. That's not a highway. That's it's not a fast it's road. It's three miles away, but it takes three hours to get there. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that. Driving moving at the speed of Scotland, <laughs> always, always, and forever. Um, and so, if if you do that three hour drive and you get into the warehouse and you do a tour of Springbank Distillery and you go into the Cadenhead shop. And maybe you go and visit Glengyle uh, under the same ownership. Mm. And maybe you go look at Glen Scotia. Like you can now put in two full days in Campbellton, yeah. which then means you're getting a hotel room. You're then buying dinner while you're there. Yeah. Um, the, what they're doing for their local community is is absolutely stand-up stuff. And that's been part of the reason that we've wanted to take groups there as well is, you know, the Mitchell family – yeah. have done everything they can to support Campbellton. Here, we're going to show up and we're going to do our little bit as well. We're going to lean on that um, and help them out as well. Yeah. And it's it's that rising tide. It's what we said in the very beginning of this podcast, right? It's the whiskey industry and we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll succeed or fail as one. Uh, and some places you really get the feeling that they completely grasp that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's... That's who we collaborate with. There's yeah. that word again. Yeah. Um, bef- before we close out our, our conversations with Mark, though we'll hear from him again um, during our misconceptions portion of the podcast, um, I really think it's important, you know, just getting back to our questions um, about some of his favorite releases. So in part, it's about his favorite releases, but, m- but more specifically gets back to the start of our conversation where we discuss reputation, right? 175 years in the industry, and they have a long history of being a great independent bottler, releasing one good cask after the next, one good vatting after the next. And he had a really interesting story about um, two casks of rum, right? Jamaican rum. Absolutely. In the warehouse. Really fantastic story from him. Yeah. Really thoroughly enjoyed hearing that. And that that was my first time hearing that story. And I I hope for a lot of our listeners who are dedicated whiskey folk that hopefully this is their first time hearing this story as well. Yeah. When I first first started, we had – I keep getting told I've seen the whole stock record, but every now and again – Mr. Wright throws another five hundred odd casks at me that I didn't that I don't know about. But it's um when I first started there was two casks of nineteen sixty four Jamaican rum sitting in the warehouse. And I thought, wow. You know, I think the only fifty year old rum is the Appleton rum. I think it's about two thousand pounds a bottle, mm-hmm. something like that. 
And so I was like, right, let's go and get samples. So we got <laughs> samples and the first cask, well, I keep saying I went and got samples. That's a lie. You know, someone else went and got them for but the first the first cask was completely empty. Oh wow. Um and the second cask there was about two hundred and thirty ish bottles left in the cask. Uh, and it was still sitting at sixty six point six percent alcohol wow. after nearly fifty years. <laughs> My word. Um so tried the sample and it was a, a really nice rum, but it wasn't a fifty year old rum. You know, it didn't taste like a 50-year-old rum. So we've re-racked it, and it's coming along nicely, and we'll, we'll probably bottle it in another three, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went back to the back to the office, and I was like, oh, this 1964 rum, why have we not done anything with it? And the answer was, well, someone tried it about 13 years ago and didn't like it, so we've not tried it since. And, <laughs> you know... And my initial thought was, well, you know, it's a 50-year-old rum. Let's just, because it's quite pale in color, you know, you stick this in a wooden box and charge a thousand pounds for it, it'll sell. Yep. Um, but, okay, a thousand pounds times however many bottles I said it was is a lot of money. Yep. But you've ruined your reputation for the sake of one bottling. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's when people would think, you know, that Caddenheads have kind of sold out if we were to, to do something like that. So it's it's all about maintaining your reputation, building up a following so that people people keep coming back and knowing that they can trust us. Thanks again to uh, Mark for sitting down and, and talking with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. We will hear from Mark once again once we get into the misconceptions section of the podcast. Do you know what time it is, Jason? What time is it? No, do you know what time it is? Is it time to get ill? It is. Last time you said, is it time to get up? And that didn't make sense. I was really <laughs> hoping you say, is it time to get ill? And you finally, you finally, you know, fulfilled my wish. Did I get it right? Oh, you got it right. It's, it is time to get ill. It's also okay. time for the news. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Me and that Playboy <laughs> What do we have in the news today? I'll tell you what we have. On Monday, I'm going down to the Explorers Club, and I'm going to meet up with the two chaps, Chad and Justin. Um, basically for, I wouldn't say it's a final plan. Yeah, I guess maybe it is a final planning meeting it for is. our tour. Yeah. Finalizing a lot of the, the little hanging details. Yeah. Uh, we've got, you know, tour attendees lining up for more information. So, yeah. Anything you can nail down with with the two chaps, the two swimmers, yeah, the two expedition boys. <laughs> so the the tour that we're talking about, we we brought it up in our podcast uh, with Brian Davis. So that was our our second episode, and uh, the tour is what we call an Isla Summer Adventure, um, and we've got these two boys from the Explorers Club that are going to do the first ever uh, recorded swim around the island of Isla. And we are going to be following them along the journey. Uh, well, while while they're swimming, we'll be hitting up distilleries and pubs Ooh. and things like that. People can join in on kayak and follow them if they want to, too. Um, but anyway, uh, that's going to be happening July 22nd through the 29th. 
So almost all of those days will be spent on Isla. Speaking of Caddenheads, we'll do a, uh, a private yacht from Port Ellen to Campbellton. That's us. Yeah. I'm excited about that. So we'll have a, a day and an evening in Campbellton uh, at Caddenheads, maybe even get dinner at the warehouse or something fun like that, and, uh, and then take the ferry back to Isla the next day. Um, so that'll be good fun. Um, if anybody's interested in that, we have three seats left now. Um, it's six thousand uh, dollars for everything covered: uh, accommodation, food, uh, travel. Once you're here, so you just land in Glasgow, we'll pick you up from there. Um, you just have to cover your flights, ridiculous whiskey bills, and personal purchases, and we'll we'll get everything else. Um, but it, it, as soon as we have some more details from our final planning meeting, uh, I'll be sure to offer that up. So if you've got questions. Um, you can email us those questions at questions at one nation under whiskey dot com and that is uh, whiskey without an e of course uh, so that'll be fun and the Explorers Club is just super cool anyway um, yeah the the boys were telling us that Explorers Club members were the first to go to the North Pole first to go to the moon assuming you. Uh, you believe in the moon landings, I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, on Studio 3B. They were the first 3B, to go to a soundstage. <laughs> they were the first to be on Studio 3B during the uh, quote-unquote moon landings. Uh, please, please cut all of this out. I'm, not, please, I'm, please, I'm, please, I'm keeping please, it all in. Please cut it all out, please. <laughs> um, yeah, Explorers Club members were first to go to the North Pole, first to go to the moon, and here they are, first, hopefully to swim all the way around Isla. Uh, it was interesting because we, we brought that up to Mark Watt. And the uh, first thing he said was, that's, that's a long way to swim around Isla. I was like, yeah, I, th- I think the boys know that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think he just thought the jump in, do we swim from jetty to jetty and uh, jump out and get some booze, uh, which is maybe to say what Mark Watt would do. Oh, I think that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the the difference is these boys take it seriously. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's going to be great. Talking to one of the attendees the other day, and uh, he's super excited for the adventure. Uh, We're we're really going to make this well worth their time going over. So yeah, and and as we always do with our tours, we'll have many many surprises up our sleeves. We we are not the type of people to give an itinerary on day one yeah. and follow it religiously until day seven. Uh, we're much more likely to say, we've got this. You paid us. Sit back. Yeah. Relax. handle it. Yeah. We got this. Um, and, and, yeah. and it takes till about, for some folk, it takes till about day two to really think, really believe in us. And at that point, you just see them melt into their seat. Yeah. And they're, they're like... You really do have this. I am, <laughs> I'm ready for the rest of this. And and just a, a, a point of clarification, too, because um, I've been asked this question. And the question is, is this just is this a boys club only tour? Oh, heck no. Heck yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. No, no. But what it is, it's a whiskey lovers, a whiskey geeks tour. It is. So is much you, emphasis on whiskey geek. Yeah. So. No emphasis on dude. No, no. man, woman, child, um, child. Uh, sorry, sorry. No. First, I, I don't know. <laughs> man, Is the woman. Titanic sinking. What's happening right now? 
man, woman, maybe a moon, a moon person. You know, uh, it it doesn't matter so long as you are a whiskey geek that can handle whiskey from the moment you wake until the moment you sleep, and learning at distilleries and getting behind the scenes tours. We're not looking at standing stones. We're not looking at castles. It's we'll all see them. About... We'll see them going by. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll pass by them. We'll point them out the window on our way from distillery A to distillery B. But look, it's Big Ben. Uh, look, it's yep, Big that, Ben. That, that is a well-known Isla landmark. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's Big Ben. <laughs> this must be from European vacation. Ah, you're good. Is, go- yeah. is it when they're going around the roundabout yeah. and they're pointing it out? Yeah. Yeah, That's I think Chevy Chase did it better than I did. It's interesting. You actually can't see Big Ben from any roundabout in London. Is that true? If you say it confidently enough, people will believe you. <laughs> and that's our American society. Maga, 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 gaga, gaga. So, aside from our final planning meeting with the Explorers Club chaps for our summer Isla adventure that we're very excited about, uh, we're also going to. Spend some time in our news segment talking about some upcoming releases yeah. uh, that we're planning for Singlecast Nation online membership. Uh, one of these is our first endeavor with the English Whiskey Company. Mm-hmm. And I think very much in the spirit of this podcast, uh, this, this, this episode of our podcast, I spent a number of years with people coming up to me. Hey, Jason, come on, you're Scottish. English whiskey? <laughs> English? Come on. You're trying to get a rise out of me. English whiskey? Come on. And this was still back in a time when we hadn't really seen or heard of Indian uh, single malt. We certainly hadn't heard of American single malt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Taiwanese Tasmanian, malt, whatever, right? yeah. Tasmanian, right? None of, none of that was really known about. Obviously, they were still in fledgling stages as well. And so for a lot of people, it was scotch and nothing else. For and single along malt. came, yeah, right. For single malt, yeah. well, good, 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 good. And, uh, and along came the English whiskey company. Yeah. And and I, I said the same thing uh, to everybody. I said I wish them the very best of luck, um, knowing that they brought Ian Henderson in in the very early days to yeah. help them get set up. Um, and then they, uh, David Fit, I think, uh, learned uh, under Ian Henderson there. Can you remind uh, people who Ian Henderson is? Uh, Ian Henderson. It's again another NAS, theme of right? another theme of all of Jason's uh, <laughs> podcast comments. They all revolve around Lafroig. So uh, Ian Henderson uh, was a very highly regarded distillery manager at Lafroig. Yes, uh, and was known for producing a very oily, very heavy spirit. Yeah, and when he went over to English Whiskey Company to help them get set up, they came out the gates with a very heavy, yeah. oily spirit yeah. as well. Uh, and I, I, I believe David Fitt has continued that. It, it, it's slightly different, obviously. Different distillery managers do it slightly different ways. Um, but still a, a top quality product. And uh, I, I'm happy to see them on the scene. It's, it's more single malt for us to drink. Uh, that can only be a good thing. It, what I like about this release, uh, just to get into the specifics of it, uh, this is a nine-year-old that we're releasing. And uh, this whiskey spent all nine years in uh, in. Sauterne Barrique. So um, those of you that don't know Sauterne, Sauterne is a French dessert wine. Um, It's known for having very sort of uh, uh, apricot and and toasted nut flavors, and it is by far um, 
when I seek out whiskeys, I look for bourbon cast matured first and foremost, and thankfully most Scotch whiskeys have that. But if I'm looking for a wine finish, it, I don't necessarily seek out sherry. I seek out sauterne because they're few and far between. And generally speaking, they tend to be really good. And this one knocked our freaking socks off. Yeah, I remember when we got the samples in from English Whiskey Company and you saw that one of them was Sauterne. I remember your eyes getting very big. The, I, I may the, have squealed. The, the, <laughs> that's for you to share with the listeners, not me. Um, <laughs> the hope and promise of a Sauterne yeah. uh, really filled you with glee. And then in tasting it, it has what we always look for is that balance between the wine maturation and the whiskey itself. Yeah. Is it we're, still we're, a whiskey? Yeah. Exactly. We're not here to bottle Sautern. Yeah. But but we are looking for good Sautern flavors to complement the whiskey from the distillery. And we definitely think that happens here. Yeah. We've been very happy with this. So so that should be getting bottled in, in Scotland uh, yeah. in the not too distant future. Uh, it should be bottled within the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Um, uh, I think it's 61.8% alcohol. We'll get about 222 bottles from that cask. Nice. Um, and then the other one that we want to talk about, and, th- and there's more that we have in the pipeline, but we're not allowed to talk about them. I mean, we are allowed. But yeah, there's nobody above us in the chain of command. There's nobody. But we are, we are not allowed to talk yeah. about them. Yeah, I try to, and Jason just whips the back of my hands like he's a nun, <laughs> and I'm in Catholic school, which a, a Jew in Catholic school would be weird. Um, <laughs> but the the other one is a is an eight-year-old, um, and this is a Kregeliki, matured in first full sherry, and Yes. And just like the English Whiskey Company, it'll be our first time bottling from this distillery. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, other other than my love for Kregelic, I'll just add this one last little bit here. Um, you know, right now, out of the 120-plus distilleries in all of Scotland, only about five of them use worm tubs. Um, and so, you know, when whiskey is distilled, after the whiskey comes off the line arm, it can go into a condenser, which cools down the whiskey, or it can go into what's called a worm tub, which is this big coil of copper that sits in, in basically a pool of water. And, and you get much more copper contact by, by going through the worm tub. And uh, Kregeliki, Glenelgin, Springbank, um, Nakdu. Yep, and Old Pulteney. And Old Pulteney are the five distilleries that have worm tubs. So um, if worm tubs excite you, this Kregeliki should help fulfill that. I think need. this is going to be the uber test of how many whiskey geeks are listening to this podcast. Because if we have <laughs> screwed up that number in any way, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com <laughs> is going to light up <laughs> and i and i can guarantee you we have missed somebody i guarantee it so a Kregelki that is about to be bottled an english whiskey company that's about to be bottled we have more coming in for single cast nation online but we wanted to mention those two because they're they're a bit of firsts for us i want to close out the news section by saying this is just dropping a little something for future conversation that joshua and i are off to Kentucky, Kentucky on 
single cast nation business, one nation under whiskey business, and whiskey jubilee business. So please continue watching this space for how all of that plays out. One last thing that I want to bring up about our conversation with Mark Watt was that he actually took some work away from us. You know, we, we, every week we want to come up with some sort of misconception. And it was actually Mark Watt's um, discussion of a, a common misconception um, that I found quite interesting. When you think about blended whiskeys, vatted whiskeys, something like that, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you're just going to blend in some crap whiskey to go in with that other whiskey. And uh, Mark was, he had some really fun things to say about that. So let's listen to what Mark had to say. Just to put to bed another myth. Um, oh, brilliant. Them, oh, we've got something for the it. misconceptions part of the podcast. Hey, Go for it, Mark. Do it. Yeah, is, um, there, have been, there have been people, you know, uh, out there have said that the small batch is a way of garden heads uh, hiding, hiding their bad casks. Uh, because they're mixing two casks together so they can hide hide a bad cask. And I understand the theory behind that misconception. Uh, because, you know, if you take if you're doing a blend of a hundred casks, I'll keep the math simple here because I was never that bright. But you know, if you're doing a blend of a hundred casks and you've got two casks that are bad or not great, that's only two percent of your mix isn't great so you can kind of hide it somewhere in there if that makes sense mm-hmm. whereas if you're vatting two casts together and one of them is bad 50 percent of your mix is bad so the whole thing's tainted so anything that goes into the small batch to be perfectly honest would be happy to bottle in its own right as a single cask yeah and in listening to that it really harkens back to something you and i were discussing uh, in a more recent podcast where that pendulum that I started to, to mm-hmm. describe. And here you've got a guy who's working on his vatting yeah. saying this this takes effort. You know, you gotta be careful here. You can throw this out of alignment really easily. Yeah. Um to then throw at that same person, well really you're just you're just blending crap, right? You're just making crap casts go away. You can hear it in his voice that yeah. That's not true, and he really wanted to defend himself and people who do that type of work from those charges. I think now is the email segment. Do we need to come up with an email music? I think we should. I don't quite intro? know what it would be. Maybe the, the tapping of a, of a typewriter. You've got mail. Let You've got mail. Or just Tom Hanks just talking shit. Maybe Tom Hanks from Big talking to Zoltar. No. Hello, my name is Mr. Burns. I believe you have a letter for me. Okay, Mr. Burns. Uh, What's your first name? I don't know. So we've gotten some emails from people. We've gotten some tweets from people. We've gotten some Facebook messages from people. And the amount of mail and, and messaging that we've received is growing, which, you know, four episodes in, that's pretty... um, Fantastic, maybe it is. Uh, thanks to people who have done that. It's yeah, much appreciated. Uh, but we're getting so much that we can't talk. We can't uh, bring them all out. Um, so we we'll, can't. So we'll we'll do our best to 
to do that. Um, we've gotten some in, so we, we'll cover some this week, and we'll cover some uh, in two weeks from now when our next podcast comes out. Um, the first one we got is from Gabe Peterson, and it was a quick little email that says, Love the podcast. It feels like I'm with my people when I listen. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the goal. So it's it's good to know that your friends are are uh, as big of jackasses as as we are. So uh, <laughs> it's really nice to hear. Um, <laughs> Something about rubber and glue goes in here, but I can't rubber remember and, how it goes. Oh yeah, we'll figure that out. Uh, but no, then he goes on to saying, and this was an interesting question. Don't know how to answer, but answer it. But let's let's see how we do. The question is, what do people in the industry think of Ralphie? Now, for those of you who do not know who Ralphie is, Ralphie is basically the original whiskey vlogger. Not blogger with a B, but vlogger with a V. V for video. V, well, yep. V could also stand for other things. And, um... Not before logger. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So he's the original uh, whiskey vlogger. And uh, his, his videos are, you know always fun so what i can say is i have not really spoken with anyone in the industry uh about ralphie um so i don't know what people in the industry think what i can tell you is i thoroughly enjoy his videos um i like his reviews i think his videos are super fun they're approachable i've had a few laugh out loud moments i know he's uh very much against nas whiskeys um, which, you know, that, that, that's sort of a hot button, uh, topic that we discussed in a previous podcast. But yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy him. I don't know what other people in the industry think, but, but I dig him. Um, and if you want to check out some video reviews, check him out, ralphie.com. The next email we have up, uh, comes from longtime supporter of Singlecast Nation, uh, Aaron Kraus. A.A. Ron, where are you? Where is A.A. Ron right now? No A.A. Ron, huh? Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute, A.A. Ron. Here. Oh, man. We have had the pleasure of pouring for Aaron in California, and he's also come out to a number of our jubilees, uh, which we greatly appreciate. It's always fantastic to see him. Always. And, yeah. and uh, he's as you're about to hear in this email, he's a, he's a stellar writer. Uh, if you want to read more by him, go check out uh, The Booze Dancing, dot com where Gilo Wookie and and the rest of the guys and gals over there are writing about whiskey uh, and and taking some really magnificent photography. Uh, Gilo has got quite the eye. So so here's Aaron's email. This is Aaron from California, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> That's classic Aaron. I'm curious about one aspect of purchasing a single cask. Are you also buying the physical barrel? as well as the whiskey inside with each purchase. Parenthetical comment. Are the empty barrels all stacked up neatly in your garage? Do you keep moving them around to get to the bikes, washing machine, holiday decorations, etc.? <laughs> I appreciate the use of holiday decorations. Anyway, uh, go on. He's a good lad. Yeah. Uh, bonus question. We haven't even answered the first one yet, but bonus question. Have you ever considered refilling one of these barrels with another whiskey that you've purchased? Maybe a Highland whiskey refilled into an Isla barrel, for example. 
or a Westland in an Isla barrel. A Jewish whiskey company whiskey filled into an ex-Jewish whiskey company whiskey barrel. Yeah. Love the show. Big fan. I'll take your answers off the air. For a future well, grind my gears, uh, Joshua Hatton discusses barrel. Anyway, continue. <laughs> we will. We will have to get to that. <laughs> oh, cask sizes mean things. Um, so, Aaron from California, we uh, sometimes purchase the physical barrel and sometimes do not. Uh, really, we don't have as much of a pressing need for it as the distillery does. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if they have a plan for it, we are more than happy to get the, the liquid bottled and leave them with the wood. Uh, there have been times in the past uh, where we have taken um, the empty barrel and sent it back to the distillery to have it refilled with something else. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the examples that we have currently maturing in Scotland is our very first Aaron bottling, uh, which at that point was a Pinot Noir cask. Mm -hmm. uh, we sent that back to the distillery and they put lightly peated Aaron new make yeah. into that. Um, and that has been sitting maturing in their warehouse. And uh, we've dabbled and it's coming along fantastically well. Uh, and at the point of release, that will be a second fill Pinot Noir cask, lightly peated Aaron. Uh, that's going to be a very exciting release when the day comes. Yeah, I think it's four years old now. Yep, yep. Right, yeah. number ring, that, that rings true. Yeah, the other one to, to bring up for Aaron is our Whiskey Jubilee bottling that we were talking about last week. I believe it's the one that you had in your glass last week, mm -hmm. which started out life as a rye cask. Maybe a rye barrel. I think I'm going to use that. Started out life as a rye barrel. Yeah, you can use it in that case. Because it was a barrel. It was so a barrel. It is accurate. Okay. Um, yeah, started <laughs> out life Started out life as a rye barrel. Uh, went into our Jubilee High West collaborative blend, mm -hmm. uh, which was rather delicious. And then was used uh, to mature a beer before then having the American light whiskey, the American grain whiskey, go into that for finishing before we released it in the Chicago Jubilee uh, first bottling over there. Yeah. So we've we've definitely done these types of things. Uh, we, we are always looking to have fun. We're always moving things around. And, um, and yeah, so there you go. We have done the things you're asking, Aaron. Thank you for asking and giving us a chance to talk about them <laughs> on the podcast. Thank you to Aaron, to Gabe. Um, there have been some people coming in from Twitter, Liz, Liz, uh, Liz Katie, um, who will will bring her up on another episode. Um, Jim, young Jim, how do you pronounce his last name? Hendigas. Jim Hendigas had a question as well, which we'll have to get in on another podcast too. But I want to thank everybody uh, who's reached out to us at questions at OneNationUnderWhiskey.com. Of course, that's whiskey without an E. Uh, by Twitter, at OneNationWhiskey. Again, whiskey without an E. Or, or Facebook. Uh, your questions have, uh, have been received, and we're loving seeing them. We're just going to ask everybody again, uh, if, if you would subscribe, tell your friends about our podcast, go on to iTunes, rate our podcast. We, we'd really love it. 
it just it, it, it helps us out. Yeah, like a man with a serious problem, I keep refreshing iTunes and it keeps telling me you have not received enough reviews to have a rating. And uh, it doesn't stop me from refreshing it constantly. So <laughs> so if anyone's got a five-star re- review or a five-star rating that they'd love to throw yeah. our way, uh, that would be fantastic. I can, I, can, I can honestly put my hand up in the sky and say I have not rated us. I have not given us the necessary five-star review. Yeah. Yeah, I gave us a one-star review. <laughs> These two jagazzies. Screw this podcast. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that does it, right? It does. It does. Another episode in the can or committed to wax. All right. one person says that I know. Well, you know, some people like it in the can. Um, So that's it for us. Thank you to everyone who has listened to us for the past hour or so, somewhere around there, plus or minus. And we will see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.